Thanks for having me. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, open it to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 21. It's a pleasure to be here. So I asked Dr. Young, um, is there anything in particular you want me to share about? And he said, oh, no, no, I don't like uh, when, when you know, I go anywhere and pastors ask me, you know, for anything in particular. But, you know, it's MLK 50 coming up, so you can share a little bit about race. But I don't like when pastors ask me, you know. So <laughs> I got, I, I, I got, I, I got the message. So I just want to share with you a little bit from the word of the Lord. Uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 21. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue. As it was his, as it was his custom, he stood up and read, and the, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners in recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We give you glory and honor. We pray that you Open up our hearts and our mind to receive a word from you on tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jesus was quoting from Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2. Isaiah pictures the deliverance of Israel from exile in Babylon as a year of jubilee when all debts are canceled, all slaves are freed, and all property is returned to the original owner. But the release from Babylon, exile had not brought the expected fulfillment. There was still a conquered and oppressed people. So Isaiah must have been referring to the future messianic age. Jesus boldly announced, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus was proclaiming himself as the one who would bring this good news to pass, but he would do so in a way that the people were not able to grasp. I, I want to I share with you a little bit uh, today because, we, because we're friends, because we're brothers, because we're sisters. And so I want to talk about um, the elephant in the city, the elephant in the room. And, and I think one of the things that we've done over the years um, that's really been instrumental for, for us, and I think it has for Grace as well, is that we've talked about uh, those, those tough things. We've had those tough conversations. And I think it's truly been beneficial to the kingdom to have the conversations that a lot of people don't want to have, and we hear about it, and we see it on Fox and CNN, and, and there's a divide. But I think if we don't talk about it in the body of Christ, then, then our, 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 our country is in trouble. The body of Christ is in trouble. I want to share three things with you. I really want to ask you three questions. And, and the first question is, do you care enough to understand? Do you care enough to understand? As being brothers and sisters, we have to understand. Um, we got to seek first to understand, then be understood. So do I care enough to even understand what's taking place in our, in our country? Do, do I even care enough to understand why there's so much frustration, why so much anger, why so much 
uh, bitterness that's taking place? Do I care enough to even understand? Do, do I even care? Or am I just, you know, taking secondhand information? Or do I, do I really care enough to understand what's going on in an oppressed community? Do I care enough to understand? Am I seeking to understand, or am I really seeking to be understood? Am I arguing just to argue? Am I talking just to talk? Or do I really want the heart of Christ and, and, and understand what's really happening? So I just want to share a couple of things uh, with you. Uh, in 2012, uh, Trayvon Martin was killed, and Mike Brown was killed. In 2014, Eric Garner was killed. And many of y'all have heard those names before. And it was a major protest that took place in our country when Trayvon Martin was killed and when Mike Brown was killed. Um, in 2015, we came to Grace Evangelical Church, and uh, we were having a summit, and, and we talked about uh, race issues. And I think it was really, really awesome. We had an awesome time to talk about those tough things, tough conversations. And uh, it was a really awesome time. And that same night, uh, Dallin Roof, a young guy out in South Carolina went into a church and killed nine people in a church that, that same night we were having that discussion. Um, Alton Sterling and Philando Castillo was killed in, in 2016. And I think that's when there was a really, really big uproar in, in the nation. And, and one of the things I think that what happened during those, that time is that it was videoed. See, in the black community, and I'm going to tell you, I think this is what happened. When, when, the, when the incident with Mike Brown took place, so many people said, well, you know, they, they understood in the black community that, you know, it, it, was, it was not filmed. So most blacks accepted the fact that, well, he's, you know, we he, don't come up with a short end of the stick. It wasn't filmed when, when um, um, Trayvon Martin was killed. You know, it, you know, it, it wasn't filmed. So it, it was okay in a sense. But in 2016, when Philando Castell and, and Alton Sterling was killed, and people actually saw it, I think the black community, for the most part, and I'm, I'm telling you, now I'm, I'm representing uh, the consensus when I say this of the black community. Not necessarily that I agree with it, but I think that this is the consensus of the black community. When we saw it on video, and you actually saw what took place, then there became a sense of hope to where now this is what we've been saying. So we've been crying out. We've been saying that it's been injustice. And so now we actually see what took place. You see it. I see it. There has to be some justice. Some of it was some gray areas because, okay, we don't know if he was reaching for his gun. But some of it was we actually see it. There's going to be justice. And, and we saw it, and there still was no justice, and officers weren't being arrested. And so thousands of people were killed since um, 2016 at the hand of officers, some justified, some not justified, but not many arrests were made. And so I think with Philando Castillo, when he was reaching for his gun, when he was reaching for his wallet, the police asked him for his ID, he was reaching for his wallet. He told the officer that he had a gun, and the officer shot him five times, and it was recorded. And the officer ended up walking. So that was the outcry. He's going to walk. The African-American community, now we're, we're tired of it. Now, now you see it, it it's, we're, no, no. This, the, first you, you hit me, then you push me, then you hit me again, now you spit on me. This, 
How can he walk? And so I think that's the consensus of what the community saw. A couple of days after that, a guy by the name of Michael Crawford, a black guy down in Dallas, Texas, killed five police officers, and he wounded seven others. That was an act of evil. That was an act of sin. It's a terrible act. He felt that he wasn't being heard, and he said, because of what took place with Philando Castile and, and Alton Sterling, this is why he did what he did, which is sick, which is evil, which is sin. But let's understand the why. The why. Why? why do, let me understand this. Let, let me understand this from a brother in Christ. Do I care enough to even understand? Whether it's right or wrong, this is the consensus. It's a community that's hurting. It's a community that's saying we hadn't been heard. It's a community that's saying that from civil rights, I mean, to where we are now 50 years later, we still, the systemic racism, it, we, we have not been heard. So this guy said, I'm going to be heard. I'm upset, and the world is going to hear me. Lakeisha Washington from the Black Rider. She's a Black Rider leader. This, this group. And she's, uh, she posted on a group, the group's Facebook page that she intended to see that our racist oppressors, after the death of the five officers, black young lady, she posted on the group's Facebook page that she intended to see that our racist oppressors also get a taste of death. In an apparent call to arms, Washington said that now was the time to intensify our struggle. We assert the right of self-defense by whatever means necessary and reserve the right of maximum retaliation against our racist oppressors, no matter what the odds against us are. From here on in, if we must die anyway, we would die fighting back and we would not die alone. We intend to see that our racist oppressors also get a taste of death. See, I'm not being heard. I'm, I'm sick of it. I'm tired, and, and I don't care. Since we're not being, since we're going to die anyway, let's take some people with us. I was talking to a young man after uh, the, the bridge was shut down a couple of years ago, and he said, um, well, I'll tell you what he said, but when we see the protest on the, on the bridge and we see the protest in the NFL, people are not protesting about the anthem. They, don't really, they really care less about the anthem. It's about the injustice and, and people feeling that we're not being heard. So we're going to be heard. We have to do something to be heard, whatever we need to do to be heard, because we're not being heard. So we'll get on the knee. We, we, we want attention. We're, we're not being heard. We... we um, the Memphis Christians Pastors Network is several pastors around the city, a lot of conservative pastors, pastors from the inner city, pastors from East Memphis. You got uh, Bellevue, uh, Gracie Van is involved in it, uh, Independent Press, Second Presbyterian is involved in it, Hope Presbyterian. Churches that's come together said, how can we come together as the body of Christ and deal with the injustices that's taking place in our city? One of the on the second time that we got together, there was a guy that was in the crowd because we was really trying to get, we was trying to figure out how we were going to move forward. And this one guy, he was a businessman, a white businessman in the community, the older guy, he said, look, if they keep shutting down the bridge, then the city's going to lose business. Businesses are not going to want to come to the city. 
And everyone in the room almost just sort of chuckled, like, dude, are you serious? They don't care about businesses coming to the city. They're not being heard. They're not just shutting the bridge down just to shut the bridge down, just to have some fun, just to play games. They're serious. One guy said, listen, man, listen. He said, if these white people don't start listening, we're going to just start killing them. He said, because the only thing that they respond to and they care about is money. When they start losing money, that's when they want to talk and have a discussion. A sickening mindset. An evil mindset. But this is the anger and the frustration. And what are we going to do? Because there's a community of people that don't know God and don't care about God and don't care about you, don't care about me. And, and, and they protest and they're serious. Now, some people are just protesting. They don't know why they protest. They just protest because their cousin protested. But some people are protesting. They're saying, we are angry and we're tired and we will be heard. And we don't care about the Memphis Christian Pastors Network. We don't care about you. We, we, we're angry. And, and we don't want to dialogue. We're tired of dialogue. We're tired of negotiating. We're tired of getting the short end of the stick. It's time for action. I was looking about home a couple of months ago. We was looking in a, in, in a particular community to buy a home and we, we saw the home online, and so we rode in the community that night. And we were, the, we were in the community. The house looked better in person than it did online. And so I was looking at it online, and I'm like, man, this looked like a totally different house in person. It looks really good in person. So we cut the light on in the truck. We were looking at the, house, at the home, and we were looking at it uh, in person, looking at it online, and then we cut the light off, and we drove off. About 15 seconds later, it was a truck came behind me, speeding behind me, almost ran me off the road. I pulled over. I let my wonder down. He said, man, what are you doing, white guy? What, what are you doing outside of my house? I said, what, what, what are you talking about, man? What are you doing? What were you doing outside of my, outside of my home? Dude, what, what are you talking about? My wife and I are looking at buying a, buying a house. But you were sitting outside of my home. That, that wasn't the home that we were looking at. He was a neighbor of the person's home that we were looking at. I don't even know where you live. I don't know what you're talking about. You were sitting outside. There's a for sale sign in the yard, and we were looking at this home to buy this home. So he saw my wife, and now I, I, I get it. I understand. If he saw four black guys with masks on, ski masks on, I understand, man, dude, that, that looks suspicious. He saw a guy who I think looked okay, who had, a, who had a, unless we were doing a Bunny and Clyde deal, and my wife wanted to rob him as well, and my kids as well that was in the back seat, maybe he didn't see him. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he didn't see my kids. He saw my wife, and, and he said, dude, that, why, why are you sitting outside of my home? And so now I'm getting agitated and frustrated because I'm like, hey, man, I just told you that we were looking to buy a home, so I'm, I'm you know, tension is, 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 is rising now. Both of us are frustrated. He said, man, it looks creepy, man, you just sitting outside of my home. He's saying the same thing. It looks creepy, me sitting outside of your home. We're looking to buy a home that's a for sale sign. How many times am I going to have to tell you this? I'm just saying, man, it looks creepy that you're sitting outside of my home. My wife said, Myron, drive off. And when she said, Myron, drive off, it wasn't just... Myron drive off. She she said, Myron drive off because she was afraid for my life. And I thought about it. 
And this is what I thought. Regardless of the work that I've been doing in this city and will continue to do in this city, my life flashed by me. Because I, I, I felt at that moment that had he killed me, he would have been justified. And I felt that he felt that had he killed me, he would have been justified because I feel that he felt that had I killed him, I would have said that I was afraid for my life. And to answer the question to my kids, Daddy, why, why, why did that man follow us, Daddy? To see everything that's taking place in our city and to witness this firsthand. When I'm, in, when I'm in the hood talking to the hood and communicating with the hood and I'm in East Memphis talking and trying to bridge the gap to see this firsthand, was embarrassing. It was embarrassing when I spoke with the individual who said that we're going to stop, we're just not killing whites. And it was embarrassing when I saw this man come antagonizing me. But when we look at the shutting down of the bridges and the protests and, 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 and the anger, we have to care enough to understand what's happening. And we, we understand, man, this is, there's a real issue in our country. And we can't ignore this. There's a real issue. And we can't pretend that it's not. And we have to care and understand where the frustration is coming from. Number two, are you challenging what's being passed down and what you're passing down? Are you challenging what's being passed down and what you're passing down? One preacher communicated this, a white preacher who communicated, he said that he went to a predominantly black school, and when he went to the predominantly black school, there were some black kids that was picking on him, and they were picking on him, and he went home and he told his dad, he was in middle school, and his dad said, I've been waiting a long time to have this conversation with you, and he took him in a room, and he had a conversation with him, and he said, he said some things to him that, I mean, just pretty much messed him up, some, some racist thing. To him. I've, been, I've been waiting to have this conversation, and they're like this, and they're this, and they're, and, and all of them, and they're, and so he, he, he grew up with, with, with racism in his heart, and so God changed him until he began to challenge what was passed down to him, and challenge what he passed down to his kids. Michael Crawford had two kids, the guy who killed the officers had two kids. My question is, what, what, what is he passing down to his kids? What did he pass down to his kids? What did he give his kids? What did he communicate with his kids? Innocent officers who had nothing to do with the shooting in Minnesota, nothing to do with the shooting in Louisiana, he killed innocent officers. What, what did he pass down? What was his home like? What are we passing down? Jonathan Todd and I went to a, a lynching site with the Memphis Christian Pastors Network in, in the city of Memphis, and most of us knew nothing about this site and knew nothing about this person, a man by the name of L. Persons. He was an African-American man who was lynched on the 22nd of May in 1917 after he was accused of having raped and decapitated the 16-year-old white girl in Memphis, Tennessee. He was arrested and was awaiting trial when he was captured by a lynch party. So he was taken out of the custody of the police by a lynch party who burned him alive 
and scattered his remains around town, throwing his head at a group of African-Americans on Beale Street. A large crowd attended his lynchings. They even allowed children from Central High School to be checked out of school early to go to this carnival-type festival. They said it had an atmosphere of a carnival. No one was charged as a result of the lynching, which was described as one of the most vicious in American history. Those men had kids. What did they pass down to their kids? What are we passing down to our kids? So we have to challenge what was passed down to us and be honest about what was passed down to us. I've been in countless conversations with men in this city who was honest and transparent and said, this is what was passed down to me. Racism was passed down to me. My grandfather was racist. My father was racist. And it was passed down to me. And I didn't know any black people. And I didn't grow up around black people. And, and this was, it was passed down to me. And this has been my life. And I got to challenge that. Because just because it was passed down to me doesn't mean that I have to continue in it. There were things that were passed down to me. There were things that were passed down to my wife. My wife's grandmother had a perspective of whites. And she pretty much told my wife, you better not bring now one of them up in here. So there were certain things that was passed down to my wife. Now, she can, she can act as if, well, you know, everything is fine. No, 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 it was passed down. And she had an opinion, and she had a perspective of whites because of what was passed down to her. And she had to make an intelligent decision and say, in spite of what my granny passed down to me, are they all really like this? Is this, is what she said, is this law? Should I get to know them for myself and experience for myself and build relationships for myself? And now she's doing retreats with whites and having lunch with whites and, and hanging out with whites. Because she, she learned them and she challenged what was passed down to her. My daughter attended a predominantly white school. And so we have to check ourselves because sometimes she comes home. And when she comes home, we try and decipher, was this just a little girl thing that took place? Or was this a race deal that took place? Were they being mean just because they were being mean girls? Had nothing to do with race? Or was it some... Racial tension there. So what are we passing now? What are we giving her? What are we speaking? What are we speaking into her life? Well, all of them are. Well, all, well, all. What are we passing down? Well, what was passed down to me was my father, he wasn't there. My father was a womanizer. My father slept with a lot of different women. My fa- I got brothers and sisters everywhere. I don't even know them. All over. That's what was passed down to me. So when, 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 I met the, when, when I came to Christ, I still had to struggle with things that was passed down to me from generations. And I couldn't act as if, well, nothing happened. I couldn't act as if these things didn't, didn't affect me. 
I had to get in the spirit and get in the word and pray and challenge what was passed down to me so that I don't become what I despised in him. And so now I'm intentional about what I passed down to my son. Challenge it. Challenge it. Challenge it. Maybe grandmama was wrong. Maybe, maybe my dad was wrong. Maybe my dad was a great guy, but he didn't have this part of it right. Just maybe. And, and what am I giving to my kids? What am I communicating to my kids? Am I silent? Am I neutral? Because when we're neutral, we're really not neutral. We have to take a stand. And the last thing is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? It's my prayer that, 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 that the Holy Spirit will move in the hearts of all of us tonight. And I don't want to fight. It, it, it's enough fighting on the news and it's enough Roland Martin and and it's, it's, enough, it's enough fighting and, and, and bickering and complaining and, and pointing the finger. And I'm not here to, to justify the Philando Castell or justify Mike Brown. I wasn't there. You wasn't there. I'm not here to justify. I'm here to talk about some things happened, and we're on two totally different sides. And we need to understand why there's so much frustration and so much tension, and what are we going to do about it? Are we going to fight like the world? Are we going to be the body of Christ and do what Christ has called us to do? So what are we, we going to do about it? The Memphis Christian Pastor Network, we, we've, gotten, we, we, we've come together, and um, a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated MLK 50 uh, Jubilee service at Mississippi Boulevard, and there was thousands of people that were there. Both mayors were there, several pastors. I mean, it, it was a thing of beauty to see our city in one location, saying that, that we're, we're going to come together. We can't stay neutral. What are we going to do about it? We got to have lunch with each other. We got to talk to each other. We have to stop being afraid and, and stop being silent and, and, and not asking the tough questions. We have to get involved. If you're not involved, get off the bench and get involved. Get involved in a ministry. Get involved. Get off of the bench and get in the game. Get involved in, in true work in this city. Get involved. You are the, the a peculiar people. You are the, the chosen of Christ. You, you're, you're a chosen generation. Get involved. You got to open up your mouth and you got to speak up. You, 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 you got to speak up. You got to talk about it. You have to speak up. You have to call a spade a spade. You have to call sin a sin. You have to call wrong wrong. In the midst of your Democratic friends, in the midst of your Republican friends, in the midst, you have to call a spade a spade, a sin a sin. See, we don't, we don't mind calling homosexuality a sin, and we don't mind calling adultery a sin, and we don't mind calling fornication a sin, but we seem to believe that racism is a preference. And it's not a preference, it's a sin. Whether it's systematic, whether it's overt, whether it's covert, it is a sin, and we must call a sin a sin. I believe that God is requiring us for more in this time. If there's never been a time in, in history, I believe that now is the time that God is calling us to do more, to give more, to serve more, 
to be involved more, to have conversations. Man, I'm talking to guys in this room, Jonathan, uh, uh, Chris, Jerry, Dennis, we, uh, uh, Alan, we, we having tough, serious, black, white conversations. Ask the tough questions. Building true relationships, true friendships, true brotherhood. Well, I want to ask this because I don't, I don't get, I may offend him. Stop tiptoeing around and I'm just don't offend anybody. Man, let's get involved. Let's talk about it. Look, man, do you guys like to be called African-Americans or black? Because I'm at work and me and my white friends, we don't know. And we don't want to offend anybody. Let's talk, ask the question. We got to give more time, give more money, build more friendships, speak up, get involved, have more lunches. We, 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 we have to be intentional about it because it's not just going to happen. Bishop Tutu says we can't stay neutral. He says if you are neutral in a situation of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. If the elephant, Jared, has his leg on the neck of the mouse, the mouse will not appreciate your neutrality. It's not going to appreciate it. Martin Luther King says, history will have to record that the greatest tragedy of this period of social transition was not the strident clamor of bad people, but the appalling silence of the good people. The silence of the good people. The silence of the chosen people. The silence of the peculiar people. The silence of the righteousness of God. The silence of the redeemed people. I'm closing with this. Jesus said, if you love your mother, your sister, your brother, your father, more than me. If you love your brother, your sister, your father, your mother, your political party, your race, your wealth, more than me, you're not fit for the kingdom. He has to be number one. And it comes a time where, God, I put you before my race. I put you before my wealth. I put you before anything else. I got to get involved. I have to be engaged. I have to seek to understand rather than looking to, to be understood. And it's okay if I repent over what was passed down to me. It's okay if I say, God, forgive me for my role in perpetuating what was given to me. Forgive me for not speaking up. Forgive me for not being involved. Forgive me for not giving more because you're requiring more of me. I'm in two separate conversations. I'm talking to, I can meet with a millionaire and I can meet with a, a murderer in the same day. In the same day. I could meet with a, a murderer and have lunch with a millionaire in the same day. And, and it's, it's pretty much two separate conversations. The conversation to the murderer or the conversation to the underserved is this. 
No one is going to give you anything. No one's going to give you anything. No one's going to feel sorry for you. I know your mother wasn't there for you. I know your father is in jail. I know you struggle reading. I understand this, but nobody's going to give you anything. In life, you can lose because of or you can win in spite of. So what are you going to do? I know, man, what I'm telling you is you have to go the extra mile. You have to work hard. You have to get up early. You have to, you have to stay up late. If you're going to make it and you're going to be successful, then nobody's going to give you anything. Get rid of this welfare mentality and go and be what God is calling you to be. Go and be a father. If you want to talk about Black Lives Matter, then show that Black Lives Matter by being in your black son's life, by being in your black daughter's life. If you really want to show that Black Lives Matter, don't just go and march on the bridge, but go and show that it matters. No one is going to give you anything. That's the conversation to me. Then I meet with my white brother in East Memphis. I said, hey, look, man, you do understand that this kid's father's not in his life. You do understand that this kid's mother is on drugs. You do understand that he didn't have his mom and dad there, and his dad could go to work, and his mom has a degree, but she can choose whether she's going to go to work or she's going to homeschool because the father made so much money. You do understand that he's underserved. You do understand that his environment is pretty much holding him back, and the systems that, that really keep him down. So what I'm saying is that we need you. We need your resource. We need you to mentor. We need you to be involved because if we don't give this kid any extra assistance, then he's going to fall through the cracks, and he's going to be on television. He's going to be one of the ones that's being killed or one of the ones that's doing the killing. So you do understand that you have a responsibility. You have to be involved. So there's two conversations. So there's a responsibility here. There's a responsibility here, and we got to stop pointing the finger. Oh, they just don't want. It's not that they just don't want to work. There's a lot. Some of them just don't want to work. But some of them, man, it's a lot stacked up against them, and certain things were passed down to them. And they never saw a father working, and they never saw a mother working, and they saw drug dealers and gaming. That's what they saw, and that's what they live with. Just like some things were passed down to you, and we have to work, work, and work so that we can stop this vicious cycle. And, 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 and we have to stop pointing the finger and saying, it's the white man that keep me down. The white man is going to live in the white man. And that's what I'm communicating to him. It is, you stop blaming the white man and do something. And we got to stop saying that they just don't want it. They just don't. They just don't. And they have the same opportunity. And they, if they just would only. And we have to come together and get at the table and understand each other and love each other and do what Jesus did. And sit with people that didn't look like them. And talk to people who didn't act like them. And live among people who didn't think like them. And realize we have more in common than we don't. And let's be the people that God has truly called us to be. Now is our time, Gracie Van. Now is our time. On every head bow. Father, we thank you and we praise you and we give you glory and we give you honor. We thank you for this night and for this time. We thank you for who you are. God, we, 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 we're, we're sick of fighting. We're sick of fighting and not, not understanding each other and, and not seeking to understand each other. God, we pray in Jesus' mighty name, God, God, that you would bring this city together, 
that you will bring races together, you will bring communities, communities together, God. God, for your glory, God. God, you've called us a city that sit on a hill, God. And our lights have to shine. If it's racism on our job, God, help us to not be a part of it, God. But, but give us the boldness from your Holy Spirit to speak up against it. To speak up against, to speak out against it. Give us holy boldness, God. That we won't be afraid, God, but that we'll stand for you. God, those things that were passed down to us, God, that's tough for us to break, God. We pray in Jesus' name that, that you give us the strength to break free from the shackles of the enemy because that is not of you, but it's of the enemy. God, I thank you for this church, for the work that's going forth and that's going forth out of this church for the ministry that's going forward, God. God, for the hearts of your people, God, that are involved. I pray, God, that you would continue, God, to give them a passion and a burning desire to do more. Those that are not involved, God, I pray, God, Lord, that you would allow them to find opportunities to get involved. God, you do it for your glory. Strengthen this church. Let this church be a city that sit on a hill. Let other churches, God, in East Memphis and Collierville and Germantown say that this is the model church and we want to do what they're doing and we want to impact how grace is impact and we want to get involved how grace is involved and we want to get off the bench how grace is off the bench and we want to impact this city and impact this kingdom how grace is doing it. Use this church for your glory. We'll ever praise you and give you honor. It's in your holy son Jesus' name we pray. Thank God and amen.